My name is Matt. My wife Amber and I are the pastors here at the church, and I want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad to have you here. Or maybe you're tuning in online. I want to say welcome to everybody who's tuning in online. We love to make new friends, and so if this is your first time here, we'd love to get connected. The fastest, easiest way is you can text into our office. If you text the word guest in, um, it's a quick little form you can fill out, and it's kind of the first way for us to start to get to know each other just a little bit. Um, And also, if this is your first time, or this is your church home, this is, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings today as well. You can text that in as well. There's a give option. It'll kick you back the link to the website, or you can drop it in the boxes if you're here in the building. But let's, re, let's uh, pray over that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all the blessing you've poured out in our life. God, as we continue to honor and worship you by returning to tithe and the offering to the house of the Lord, God, I ask that, that all those resources would be used to make your name famous. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, um, today is a, uh, a wonderful day. We actually have a um, kind of guest speaker, and, um, and we have uh, in the house that's going to speak this morning, we have uh, John Fogg, who is our youth pastor here at the church. Come on up. Come on up. Now, I, I got to tell you, I am just so impressed with, with John, his, his spiritual hunger and desire, and he's working with our students, and, um, and our students are loving it, and, and they're growing closer to Jesus because of the ministry of what John is doing here at in, in, in the church. And so, um, guys, this is, uh, I'm, are you nervous at all? Just a little nervous, right? Yeah, just a little nervous. And so uh, will you guys help encourage him as he's going? If he's saying stuff that, amen him. You know what I mean? Encourage him, keep him going. I'm telling you, he's told me what he's going to share on this morning, and I just can't wait for you guys to hear it um, because it's going to be powerful. So thank you, John. Thank you for coming, and and, and God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm just blown away by this uh, opportunity and this honor to be here. Every week, Pastor Matt and Amber just do a wonderful job Wednesday mornings with the staff meeting, and they just encourage us as a team, and and their vision to take us forward is just mind-blowing. And so I'm honored to be with you guys this morning, and as I awkwardly get set up here. But yeah, Wednesday nights, I have a wonderful team with me, Uh, Monica, who is in worship, Jacob, who's hiding behind sound so he doesn't get seen, but... We have a wonderful time there. About, I would say, more than a year ago, Pastor Matt pulled me aside. And he was like, you know, have you ever thought about doing student ministry? And I was like, you know, to be honest with you, not, not especially. <laughs> it hasn't really crossed my mind. But uh, I went home, really sought the Lord, and felt like, you know, this is what I was supposed to do in the season. I felt like the Lord said he was going to set the students on fire for him. And uh, I'm just along for the journey to see how that happens. And so... Yeah. And so at the beginning of the year in youth group, we started to do small groups as well as what we were already doing. And that gave us an opportunity to talk with the students. And so it wasn't just me up there talking and rambling the whole time. I actually got to have some interaction with the students. And we started following the story of Israel through the Old Testament. And Moses' story in this really stood out to me, not only because Moses was able to lead the Israelites out of oppression for hundreds of years, but also his ability to expect the impossible. He had a confidence in God that was was amazing. And he did it through living out of encounter. He had an intimacy with the Lord that was unheard of in that time. He knew who God was and he knew what he was doing. And so, but it all started with the question, why am I here? And Moses asked this question and I've asked this question and 
And it actually takes me back to an encounter I had at Disney World in, in 2008. I was eight years old, and, and we went to MGM Studios, and we had a Star Wars parade that we were watching. And my brother Daniel wanted to get a closer look of, like, the parade. And I followed Daniel. And so the parade's going on, and, and I have, like, the parade here and Daniel there. And uh, so I'm watching the parade, and, and I'm watching Daniel, and I'm watching the parade. And, and you know those sand people from A New Hope? Those guys always freaked me out. And so, like, I, I like, cried, and I, I, didn't, I couldn't pay attention. And so I'm, like, looking at Daniel again, and Daniel turns around, and I realize that's not Daniel that <laughs> I was looking at. And so, like, I, I kind of look around, and I'm like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> Where, where is my brother? And so I'm kind of freaking out, and uh, I'm lost at Disney World. And you know those stories parents tell you, like, to scare your kids into listening to them? Like, <laughs> kids get abducted at Disney World. And so, you know, I'm eight, and I'm scared of being abducted at Disney World. <laughs> but I remember a previous encounter I had with my mom and dad, and they're like, if you ever get lost, just go to a security booth, and they'll help you out from there. And I was like, okay, so I go to the security booth. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're so brave for walking all the way over here. I'm like, I don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> There's really no other option for me right now except to be with you guys. If you could help me find my parents, that'd be sweet. And so I've, I finally found my mom, and uh, like five minutes after searching, thankfully. But that was, a scary, that was a scary encounter. In the midst of it, I was asking, why am I here? And, and Moses asked the same question in Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So if we pause for a moment, we get some context here. So this is after Moses goes to the burning bush. He encounters God. God says, Moses, you're going to free the Israelites. And Moses is like, wait, wait, God, do you know who I am? I can't even speak properly, and you're telling me to free and oppress people for, that have been oppressed for hundreds of years. But God doesn't respond to that. God responds with, I will be with you. And so Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and he says, free the Israelites. And Pharaoh immediately makes things worse for the Israelites. And so Moses, obviously, is confused. He's like, God, I thought you said, I thought you said. And so that's where we pick up again in, in 22 Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? And we're left with this question, and it's an honest question, and Moses is going to God trying to figure out why. But in the next chapter, chapter 6, in God's response, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived the sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And so Moses goes to God, and he's asking why. God, why am I here? Why have you done evil with this people? I thought you said you would free them. 
And if you look at the response, God doesn't even answer Moses' question. Moses is asking why, and, and all God gives Moses is, I am the Lord. Maybe because that was enough for Moses to keep going. It wasn't about a long explanation of, of why the Israelites are suffering or have been oppressed for hundreds of years. It's always been about who God is. And in this case, God's saying the exact same person that made the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the exact same God who's going to see them through to the end. The same God that gave you the promises all those years ago will be the same God to see you through to the end. And that's who he is. He is the exact same. And Moses was asking why, and he's, he's concentrated on his own situation, but God's trying to get our eyes into what he's doing. And in the midst of our suffering, we get so focused in our own circumstances that we forget the God who made the universe. And God needs to raise our eyes and so that we can see and we can expect the impossible. And that's what God is trying to do with Moses here. And if you'll notice, the Lord is spelled with, can we put up the verse again, sorry. Lord is spelled with capital L-O-R-D. And that refers to the personal name of God, which is Yahweh, meaning he will be. He is the one who is and who will be, that God's existence isn't based on anything or anyone. God simply is. And so when he makes a promise, it's never based on the circumstances that we're in. It's based on who he is. And so that's what we can rely on, because he isn't based on anything that we're doing. And from this moment, what you'll see is Moses has a new confidence in what God is doing. He has a new expectancy to go ahead with the Israelites out of Egypt and into the, prom into the wilderness and into Mount Sinai. If we pick up in Exodus chapter 14, 13 through 14, this is after Pharaoh has released the Israelites and the Israelites are at the Red Sea and they're freaking out that Pharaoh is coming up behind them and the Red Sea's in front of them. And this is what Moses says to the Israelites. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. This is a huge shift for Moses. A couple chapters ago, Moses is like, God, why am I here? Life sucks. Everything is awful. I hate it. What am I doing here? You said you would do this, and you're not doing it. And in the moments, the circumstances seem like they were challenging what God had said. But the promises of God are meant to challenge our circumstances. They're meant to get us out of the way we're thinking, the way we're living, and so that we can see what God is doing. That's what the promises of God are for, to get us out of our circumstances and fixed on the one that matters. And then we get into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God sends food, manna from heaven to the Israelites. And the Israelites complain about not having meat. When I first look at this, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You just saw God part the Red Sea, and now you're complaining that you don't have any meat. But again, the Israelites have been oppressed for hundreds of years, and they got into a mindset and a victim mentality that said that 
I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to get food, no questions asked. I'm going to fly under the radar. I'm going to get my work done, and that's going to be good. But God was challenging this. God was challenging them from slaves into children. And that way of living is completely different. It has a new lifestyle. It has a new mindset. It's all new. And so God was challenging them to live in a new way. No longer was their food coming to them as a result of their performance. Their food was coming to them because of their identity as children. God is who he is, not because of our performance, but because we're children. And that's what we can rely on. That's what takes us home in the, in the midst of our suffering and our questions is not our circumstances, it's who God is. And the Israelites, they missed it. And so God was angry towards them. And at Mount Sinai, we see a covenant between the Israelites and God. And God says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests to the Israelites. When not long ago, they were just slaves in a foreign land. That they're going to represent God to the world and the world to God. And they, they were going to live differently in a way that challenged the culture around them. Because of the encounter Moses has back at chapter 5 and 6. It sets up the rest of the book. This encounter that he lives out of sets up the rest of Exodus and into Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. This encounter challenges what Moses is thinking, saying, and doing. Because when we remember what God has done, it changes how we do things. It changes how we live. It changes how we see things. It changes how we love people. Because that's who God is. And so we get into further along in the story, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. And this is when Moses sends spies out into the land of Canaan. Sends Joshua, Caleb, and the other ten. And what's interesting about these verses is anytime you ask someone about it, they don't remember the other ten. They just remember Joshua and Caleb. And so we'll go into it. And they told him, these are the spies, we came to the land which you had sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified very large. And besides, we, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amulites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, but along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone with him said, we are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out. So the response of Joshua and Caleb are completely different than the other ten spies. And looking at this, they, they both saw the same thing, right? They both went into the same land. They were with each other, and, and they were around each other, and they were probably conversing about it. And so what was different about Joshua and Caleb? What about this situation and seeing the same thing brought out a different response from Joshua and Caleb? I, I think it's that Joshua and Caleb remembered what God had done for them in the past. This is the same God that sent plagues to Egypt, the most prosperous country in this area at this time, the most probably technologically advanced. And, and God just embarrassed Egypt, challenged 
their way of living and said, I am bigger than anything that this ever was. And they go out and they split the red, God splits the Red Sea. And I'm sure Joshua and Caleb pointed back to these experiences and these encounters and said, no, you don't understand. God was faithful in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. Why wouldn't he be faithful here? Why wouldn't he be faithful again? God gave us the promises that we would go to the land of Canaan, so why are we letting the people there challenge it? If God is the one that will be, despite my circumstances, why am I letting my circumstances challenge who he is? Why am I letting the people who are dwelling there, when there's flowing with milk and honey, And Joshua and Caleb, they got it in that moment. They understood that when we remember the faithfulness of God, it leads us to love him. And that love shapes into obedience into what he's doing. And that love shapes us to encounter the promises of God. But when we forget, we, we can miss it. And the Israelites missed it because they forgot. They forgot that God broke through for them in a way that the world has not seen. Imagine you're sitting there and all of a sudden the Red Sea parts and you're walking on dry land. The world hasn't seen anything like that. The Israelites haven't seen anything like that. So far they've seen rivers turned into blood and frogs and locusts and an angel of death. But all of a sudden God split through what they thought was impossible. God split through what they said, how they were going to die. God broke through in their natural, in a supernatural way to set them up to see his promises. And that's the same God at work today. And so Moses, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, has a recap for the Israelites that are going into the promised land. And this is the, this is the book right before the old generation dies off in the wilderness, and the new generation is about to take in the promised land. And so Moses catches us up with Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1 through 7. And he's giving advice to the new generation. And he says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, keep his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh and the king of Egypt and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots, and how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Datham and Abram, the sons of Eliab, sons of... I'm always bad with those names... How the earth opens its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed him in the midst of Israel. And this is the verse that sticks out. For your eyes have seen all the great work the Lord of the Lord that he did. For your eyes have seen it. So he starts out with saying, Israel, you got to love God with everything that you are. And then he says, I'm not talking to your kids who haven't seen what God, has done, what God has done. I'm talking to you who have seen it. I'm talking to you that have experienced 
the miracles of God. And that's how it shapes, therefore, love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes and rules. That's how it shapes it. We remember the promises of God and how he broke through for us in a supernatural way. And what's interesting is if you look in the, in the next book with Joshua, when they cross the Jordan River, the first thing that they do is they set up monuments, one for each tribe of Israel. And these monuments are a symbol that any time, any generation after Joshua's came back to the Jordan River, they would see these monuments and they would be able to ask what happened here. And the generations before them would be able to say, this is where God broke through for us. These are mountains in my life that I've set there as symbols to remind myself of the promises of God and his faithfulness. Which is crazy that Pastor Matt was talking about communion for three weeks and but it is, it's a moment where we, we take a second and we remember the faithfulness of God in our lives. And that's why communion is so important. We take a second and we say, thank you, Jesus, for breaking the bread of your body and spilling the wine of your blood. And when we take those moments to remember the faithfulness of God, all of a sudden we have the strength to keep moving through our suffering and circumstances. Not because of our own efforts, because of who God is. And that memory sets up love, and that love sets up obedience. And so, it is a quick sermon, but I, I got three points out of this, if we'll put up the first one, is, is God is bigger than our questions. Not that our, our questions aren't important, but I don't know that all of our questions of why or, or how or, or what's going on get answered here on earth. But I'm convinced that there's something that happens on the inside of us when in the midst of the questions we say that God is enough. I'm convinced that there's something that happens on the inside of us that develops in us when we say in the midst of our suffering, God, you are good. There's something that develops when we say, God, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but you said. And right now, my circumstances aren't saying it, but I know that you exist outside of my circumstances. And I know that your promises are yes and amen. That's what I know. And, and James, it, uh, New Testament, James, it, chapter 1, verse 2. You don't have to flip there. It'll be on the screen. I like these screens. They have, the, they have it there. But, uh, verse 2. My fellow believers, when it seems that you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows stronger, it will release perfection into the every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. <laughs> James is challenging us to, in the midst of, of difficulties and in the midst of circumstances, to count it all joy. I don't know about you, but that's pretty challenging. <laughs> I think it's easy on Sunday morning to say I'm being joyful in my circumstances. But Monday through Saturday, is our circumstances really joyful? But James isn't saying this because a storm is particularly peaceful. He's saying this because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's saying this because Jesus is opposite to our surroundings. In the wilderness, God led the Israelites cloud by day and fire by night 
opposite to their surroundings. Light and darkness. And that's who he is. And that's how we experience the greatest joy that we can. Not because of our circumstances, but because of who God is in our circumstances. When we remember God's faithfulness, that's how we experience the greatest joy that we can. God breaks through in a way that we never would have thought possible, that our expectations didn't even expect. Moses, at the beginning, back in chapter 5, he was saying, God, what am I doing here? I thought you said. But God said that he would, he would release the Israelites from oppression. Hundreds of years. And through this, the greatest joy that happens is not the Israelites walking through the wilderness. It's God shaping the Israelites from slaves into children to steward the promises of God. Because they weren't prepared as slaves to inherit the promised land. They didn't know how to set up the, the government or the structure or the, or the farmland. Or, they didn't understand any of that. But once they got who God was for them, that's when they were able to cross into the promised land. And so my second points are, second points, good Lord. Uh, my second point is God's promises are bigger than us. Oftentimes what happens is, is when God gives us a promise, we say, God, are you, are you sure? Are we, are we on the same page here? Do you, <laughs> do you understand what's, what's going on? Do you, under, do you see what, what's going on? I remember a few months ago, Pastor Matt was talking about expand your tents. <laughs> that was challenging our circumstances. We were like, what tent? Where? <laughs> Am I missing something? <laughs> but oftentimes, God's promises are bigger than us because he wants us to expect the impossible from him. He wants us to look ahead and see that God will break through for you. He wants us to look back and remember how he was faithful to us in the past and how that shapes the way. I remember when I was struggling with this, with this concept of God's promises are bigger than us and his goodness towards us, I, I had a dream where I was taking communion and and I was like, God, I don't understand why you keep doing good to me. I, this is not what I deserve. And in and, and, and the Lord's response, he, he was like, my goodness was never about you. <laughs> to say that you don't deserve it was to miss the point. It was never about you to begin with. It was all about who God is. It was all about his love. He doesn't love as a result of anything we've done, but as, as a response to his own nature. As a response to who he is, because he is love. That's why he loves. And so my third, my third and last point, if the, if the keyboardist would come up, is uh, remember our first love. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, it John's writing to churches and, and kind of calling out what they do right and wrong. And, and this letter is to Ephesus. And, and he says, write, to the, write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all that you've done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not for they were imposters. 
I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name, yet you have not become discouraged. But I have this against you. You abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. Jesus is saying, you've done all the works right, but you missed it. And these are, these are really heavy verses, and every time I read them, I'm, can I go back to the time when, when Jesus first broke through for me and saved me? Can I go back to the time when, when words and worship were more than we read on the screen? When what we read was, was alive to us? When the joy we first experienced was overflowing? And we couldn't help but sing and dance. When we were reading the word and, and, the, and the words finally jumped off at the page and we finally got it. This is what they were talking about. Before I, I'd, I'd heard about it and before I, I'd seen things about it, but now I know. And my knowing is a result of a relationship with Jesus. That knowing isn't a result of me having everything figured out and having all my ducks in a line and saying that I'm better than everyone else. <laughs> my knowing is a result of Jesus' work in my life. Can we go back to that time? Can we go back to the experiences when God first gave us the promise? Can we remember how he gave us the promise? Can we remember exactly what he said? Some of us, I know I, I have a notepad with words and promises and, and, and scriptures over my life that I have and I have to go back to. And maybe some of us, I know I have, have forgotten those or left those in the notepad in our phones. Can we go back to those and, re and remind ourselves of how God is challenging our circumstances? The promises of God are meant to challenge our circumstances. They, they're meant to get us out of our funk, out of our own whininess <laughs> and focus us on Jesus. I know that when I look at myself, I... I don't see it, but when I look at Jesus, suddenly it's enough. When I look at what, what I have, it's, it's not quite enough to get me there, but all of a sudden when I meet Jesus, it's enough. And what I have is enough. And maybe I'm, I'm talking to you this morning and you're like, what is, what is, what is he talking about? All this Red Sea splitting. And, but <laughs> what we're talking about is, is not a, a free ticket to heaven with Jesus on it talking about is a gospel that says I want to bring the realities of heaven down here on earth and I want to change the way that I see people, the way that I live the way that I think and the way that I love and that's the gospel that we're talking about and so if you want to meet this Jesus around here we say it's an e easy as ABC A is you admit that you need Jesus you admit that you have sin and that you need him is that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on a cross for your sins. See, as you confess him as Lord. So church, if you want to stand, I'll end with this psalm that I've had over my life. and It's a, it's a little long, so uh, bear with me. But this is David talking, Psalm 42. 
I long to drink of you, O God, to drink deeply from the streams of pleasure flowing from your presence. My longings overwhelm me for more of you. My soul thirsts, pants, and longs for the living God. I want to see the I want to come and see the face of God. Day and night, my tears keep falling and my heart keeps crying for your help while my enemies mock me over and over saying, where is this God of yours? Why doesn't he help you? So I speak over my heartbroken soul, take courage. Remember when you used to be right out in front leading the procession of praise when the great crowd of worshipers gathered to go in the presence of the Lord. You shouted with joy as the sound of passionate celebration filled the air and the joyous multitude of lovers honored the festival of the Lord. So then, my soul, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink into despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God, your Savior, for no matter what, I will still sing with praise. For you are my saving grace. And he ends with this, verse 11. So I say to my soul, don't be discouraged, don't be disturbed, for I know my God will break through for me. Then I'll have plenty of reasons to praise him all over again. Yes, he is my saving grace. Church, if you'll close your eyes, I'll give us a prayer. God, thank you that you're here. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness for us. We remember what you did in the past for us. God, may may this morning and today be the start of when we remember our first love. Thank you that you encounter us with who you are. Thank you that the invitation is always there, even when our circumstances say they aren't. God, we ask that who you are shape what we do. And we ask that through the week, you continually open up to us what it means to live out of encounter. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Church, it's been a good morning. I finished right about on time, I hope. (laughs) So uh, you're tired for it, but God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.